Welcome to Authorized, Tertiary Tomes, a sub-podcast within Authorized, where we discuss books that are not novelizations, but similarly owe their existence to a film. Tertiary Tomes are character studies disguised as treasure hunts. While they present the trappings of intrigue, deduction, and adventure, these books ultimately reveal themselves to be explorations of desire and agency, and the ways in which those abstracts intersect. No longer staunchly defined by loving or hating treasure hunts, the Gates family is able to embody myriad contradictions in their quest to find out what personal fulfillment could mean for them, before the question of how to become fulfilled can even be considered. We are your hosts, a loose coalition of reward money enthusiasts, bounty hunting enthusiasts. My name is Andrew Overby. And I'm Hannah Blackman. National Treasure, colon, westward bound, parentheses, a Gates family mystery, close parentheses, number four, is an action-adventure book written by Katherine Hapka. It follows James Monroe, or Madison, depending where in the book you are, Gates, a young man in 1848 who feels alienated from his treasure-crazed family. When the daydreaming stupor of the Gates household is commandeered by an arrogant and vindictive new in-law, James begins to long for a windfall that could take him far away. And Manifest Destiny is happening, so isn't he in luck? I just like that it take, that it's like one small thing goes wrong in this guy's life, and he goes from being like, I hate my treasure-hunting father, to like, I would love a ton of money. He doesn't like treasure, he likes gold. He likes he right. wants to be embraced by his family, and if he can't have that, he wants to be able to build a life he likes, and that takes money. It is the basically the best part of the, the book that he has all that psychological baggage, but Hannah, I'll let you continue. <laughs> Thank you. In a different stroke of luck, James locates the runaway daughter of a local man of status and decides to collect on the handsome reward by entrapping the young girl. This feel <laughs> never mind. But Go, when the what? trap what? No, I just feel like you're you're acting like that's what this book is about. Okay. And well- mostly this book is about like she's like, ah, I gotta get away from my family and the boys are like, Well, we're going west. Let's all go west and they're like, Boy, the West has so much to offer all of us. Should we stay here? Yes. I think, Hannah, that a lot of our friction in the opening <laughs> crawl is that you are right. You're like, you want to get at like the essence of what a thing is about. But since I'm describing the plot, I have to logically be like, this happens, which causes this to happen. And it often reveals that the tendrils of the plot are actually not that connected. The fact that she is a runaway girl is inciting incident. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's not really key to the plot at all. It's just the thing that, like, springboards the rest of it. Right. Right? So right. I don't think it should be the entire description of well, the Well, luckily, plot. there's a little bit more to read. I, I would just say, and this is me jumping ahead, I think that's, like, one of the biggest frustrations with the book is that her being a runaway aristocrat, 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 is, like, not at all tied into anything. And that really bummed me Thank out. You, I thought man. it was going to be. I thought this. it was going to be more of a, more of a. They're both racing for the same treasure, basically. But unfortunately, I, I also think this is like a testament to storycraft. Sometimes is that when you break something down and you realize that things aren't connected, 
it's like, wow, it's cool that I didn't see that because it was propulsively told. Backhanded That's life, baby. Not everything Catherine. fits, right? Anyway. Anyway. Westward Bound is the fourth and final Gates family mystery book. Despite the fact that Disney appears to have ordered six books and number five is teased in the back of this one that we just read, no trace of the actual text seemed to exist, themselves being a missing national treasure. (laughs) (laughs) Westward Bound was published by Disney Enterprises in 2008. Hannah, you also uh, skipped my best sentence. I don't uh, care. I don't agree but, with it, and I will not read all right, it. If you so want to read bounty, it, you can read he's it. He's bounty hunting the girl, and it says, But when the trap is sprung, will James feel at peace with his bounty hunting, or will he catapult the runaway into a treasure hunt in the American West that seems completely unrelated? <laughs> it's pretty good. Give it a B plus. I like it. I mean, hey, <laughs> don't be nice to him. <laughs> he put in the work. I gotta, I gotta give him something. You don't, you don't though. <laughs> mm. Mm. Our guest today, returning from the, uh, I got these off the top of my head, Wind Talkers and the Friday the 13th. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. <laughs> Big Red. Big Red. Friday the 13th, Big Red's at it. He's doing it. Friday the 13th. Mother's Red. What was that book called? Jason's Curse. Yes. Well, Jason's that is yeah. the most. You got that there. is the most blah well of the five titles. To be fair, I think they should all be titled like Jason's Hunt. <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or they should have all been holidays: Mother's Day, Arbor Day, mm-hmm. Groundhog Day, <laughs> Groundhog Day, Friday the Thirteenth, Groundhog Day. Anyway, Matt Dartnell <laughs> is the guy. He's back. Matt, I have to ask you, starting off. Uh, I think a natural jumping off point for the episode. You appear to be in a car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's nighttime. Mm-hmm. You, it seems from your environs like you're in a parking lot, maybe near a McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And you're also, the car's not moving for the record. You're also drinking a beer. What is happening? It's a uh, Christmas vacation. And I find myself in Houston, Texas with the in-laws and... For most of the day, all of the noise and all of the children were at the children's museum, and then they all came home, and it was so loud in that house. There are seven nieces and nephews and about 16 people in the house total, not conducive to recording anything, including my own thoughts. So, uh, you know, took a took a drive to the closest McDonald's, and I'm enjoying the free Wi-Fi in the quiet car, and I will be here for the rest of the night. It's very cozy. And the beer I, is, I appreciate is you, a support blanket beer. I appreciate your problem solving on this front. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm also amazed at my ability to recognize a McDonald's from like a quarter inch of an awning. I'm really <laughs> impressed by that as well. Thank you. I was almost certain that Matt would be like, well, actually, here in Texas or California, this is called a Brumbies or whatever. <laughs> I'm not a Whataburger. I wish I was. <laughs> I don't know if they have free Wi-Fi. So here we are. Fantastic. And I also realize that I've now put you on the spot. You're going to drink the beer and then sit there all night, right? Oh, absolutely. Thank you for clarifying, Good. by the way, that the vehicle is not moving. That would be terribly irresponsible of me. <laughs> Uh, and I have no plans to get in a car accident uh, over my Christmas vacation. So, do you see the um, the video from the pandemic where the guy was uh, in court uh, regarding 
distracted driving and he called in while driving? <laughs> no, I did not. That is it's, remarkable. It's really great, like slow motion guy. cringe because you know what's happening as the viewer pretty much the whole time. And you're just watching the like nine people in the court proceedings slowly be like, is he doing it right now? Just be like, there's no way. There's no way. Is that the funniest man in America? Maybe. It's <laughs> a pretty good bit. Uh, All right. So, Matt, here's the thing. There's this movie series called National Treasure. I don't know whether you like it. I basically was just like, I think you reached out to me and were like, I want to do some book. And I was like, no. And then I was like, but do you want to do a National Treasure? And you were like, sure. So, <laughs> What did you say no to, you jerk? I think, Han, I think it was one of those situations where Matt asked to be on an episode we had already booked someone on, and now he is going to be on it. So, oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Great. Pulling double duty. So, we love Matt, to have you. <laughs> how do you feel about National Treasure, both as a film series and a concept? I love it. I rewatched it in anticipation of this conversation, sort of to ask myself those same questions. And it is one of those movies that was like more foundational in my upbringing than I think I realized. Uh, I, I love history. I was a history major when I was graduating high school, and I don't think I can fully blame that on National Treasure, but I do think that it scratched that exact same itch. And uh, it's just a cool, it's a, you know, we live in a big country, we live in a new country. It feels like there's still time to like discover things that wouldn't have been found yet. And mm. uh, following clues, not that that's what this book does, but the inherent principle of solving clues going on a on a treasure hunt like it's just wonderful structure and so uh i think yeah a lot of a lot of love for the original movie i was really excited about you know doing another tertiary tome just to see like how they how they like continue that idea right like the central national treasure kind of structure and conceit uh it was really cool to see it be dedicated to the gates ancestors and sort of figure <laughs> out like the similarities that that feel required for this formula. Like you gotta you gotta hate treasure hunting and you gotta hate your dad, but by the end of it, maybe you'll love treasure hunting and maybe you'll like your dad more. And so, uh, yeah, big fan overall of the concept. I was thinking about this, Hannah. At, at this point, now that we're at the end of the series, mm. are we more guys that initially hate treasure hunting or more guys that are into it as pro tags? All of them don't like treasure hunting and then end up treasure hunting. Mm. I don't think there's a single one who's like, me and my dad love treasure hunting. We hunt treasure. We're keen on it. Like, not even one that's like, I love treasure and my dad says it's bad. No, like, none of that. Like, Is it, all the of the protagonists. Guy, Sam was like, yeah. my dad really got ripped off in a treasure hunting scheme. I still love treasure hunting. Well, I would say no, because he's like, I want to separate myself from my treasure hunting dad. And then he happens to get caught up in a treasure hunt. And the whole time he's like, oh, man. This is probably nothing. This is stupid, but I gotta find out. You know, like, he has it in his blood, so... Uh, I'm sure you guys have had this conversation on previous National Treasure-centric episodes then, but uh, where, where do you two fall with treasure hunting as, a, as an idea? <laughs> uh, I think the, the best promposal I ever did for, for, for somebody was like a treasure hunt kind of thing, and it was really fun. Oh my gosh. Um, 
I just somebody think did it's that fun. for me, I'd be like, <laughs> let's get married. Are you kidding? Like, <laughs> that's the best prom. thing anybody could do. And marry you. So like, <laughs> yeah. what, how have you guys kind of, kind of fought it out? Are we, are we pro treasure hunting? Have you ever done any treasure hunting? Hannah, I don't mean to make it sound like you've ne- never been loved, but when the, the the last time that I set up some sort of treasure hunt in a romantic setting, mm-hmm. it seemed it's I was almost embarrassed by what am I trying to say? It was like a year where I was like, man, I really didn't have an idea this year. I feel like it's pretty standard. You haven't set up a trail for someone else or been trailed upon. Nope. Okay, well, you could set up the trail. That that part's on you. I could, but I have never had the type of relationship wherein one might do that, dude. Oh, wow. All right, well, that, that took a Thanks. turn, and I apologize. It's fine. Just like no one I've ever dated has ever been like a person who I thought would enjoy a treasure hunt or did a treasure hunt for me, even though I obviously would love a treasure hunt. So you've, mm. never, so you've never dated anyone in the Gates family, I take it. That's correct. That's I have not. I have not. Then you've never dated. That's true. You've never dated someone whose first name and middle name are an entire historical figure's name. Would would that I could because I'd be like thrilled by that personally. I like the idea that you're like I was dating George Washington Carver, but he was not the type to like it. <laughs> he wasn't into treasure hunting. He wasn't into it. <laughs> it's a twofold dating situation. I need someone with a historic first and middle name. And somebody who likes treasure hunting, which makes it, it's tough. That's a small market. That That is a great dating profile, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the reason I felt that I was being uncreative when I did uh, my last, like, treasure hunt for someone was because I don't feel like I'm particularly good at the specifics. Like it the just, riddles? Yeah, it seems to me, I mean, which is shocking to our listeners that I would be bad at riddles, it seems... Very counterintuitive, (laughs) but it it seems to me like it's this thing where if you set up a treasure hunt, it's so obviously a gesture of like great love that you've unless it's really unfollowable, you've essentially like done a coup by default. Uh, And then when I actually have to write the specific clues, I think they are kind of shitty. So to answer your question, Matt, I can't figure clues out. I'm a big dummy when it comes to like logic stuff. So. We we talked a lot on our first episode, which I just edited today, so it's like very fresh, about how every time I see a clue in one of these books, I'm like, I there's just a million things that could mean. <laughs> Even if I figure out one thing, oh, door means, you know, the door of a cave or something, like something weird, and th- then I still don't know what to do with it. I'm like, but where's the fucking cave? Where's the cave? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I relate to that a ton, by the way, and I think that that is also one of the tropes of, of this franchise, it seems, is like you like you have to arrive at, at the answer with such immediate certainty to be like, okay, well this is this is this is this is this. Okay, this is the answer. We got it. Or in the case of our book, you have to find randomly in the vast west, <laughs> you have to find the perfect individual to answer the riddle for you in which case you're all set then you're good to go so uh i guess that's one thing we can work on early clue that like is the joseph smith clue by the way guys can i actually jump in uh the amount of mormonism in this book made me so so happy 
uh <laughs> just just as a tangent as like you know a, a former mormon kid like i i never thought about like the the westward expansion that the mormons were doing being integral to like american history it always felt like my kind of history and this sort of like off the beaten path kind of thing and so for this to be a book about like major major dots on the timeline right like we're talking about like big historical things in american history for so much of this to be like and then the mormons founded this town and we're gonna hop on this religious wagon train and go to nauvoo illinois i loved it so that was that was a lot of fun for your friend matt over here (laughs) i'm so glad what a perfect marriage of guest and book (laughs) Mm -hmm. i felt the same i felt the same uh what's the what's the riddle Oh, I can't find the exact riddle, but it was one that like, it was like, you know, American prophet, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I know the answer to this puzzle. Oh, here it is. I found it. It's on page 114. A prophet with a vision for earthly as well as heavenly crown chased from the Garden of Eden. He founded a beautiful new town. Pass westerly through and await your next clue. And I was like, oh, I know exactly what that means. And I was very pleased to encounter a clue that I personally could decipher after four of these books. Right, and we all know what that means, but say it. So, (laughs) the prophet with a vision, right? And I was like, okay, interesting. But Chase from the Garden of Eden is very much the Mormons being pushed out of Missouri, Mm -hmm. right? And I was like, okay, well, that's Joseph Smith and his Mormon people founding a beautiful new town, which is Nauvoo, which I wouldn't have known by name, but I did know that they founded a town. So, like, it seemed to me, I was like, cool, you go to this new town, and then you go west. I got it. I did it. (laughs) (laughs) I was, like, very pleased with myself that's all uh i also felt really pleased in in like that exact same kind of way why do you know yeah how do you know all this like nauvoo mormon stuff it's just like american history and i'm curious and i read stuff i don't know i'm into it it's just one of those things i've picked up over time i guess no again again i was like wow this is like niche mormon history and and it was that (laughs) epiphany being like no it's not this is like broad american history as a matter of fact i thought that was really interesting one thing about this series that hasn't been great for me is that when we did when we cover movie series that I'm not really familiar with, like Friday the Thirteenth, I get to be like, "What does this mean? What does this mean? You've been watching these your whole life, and it's sort of an interesting conversation." When it's National Treasure, I just reveal myself to be a little stupid. <laughs> not like, stupid. And so, Ignorant, and what did? Perhaps. And who is this? And he was, and he had wooden teeth. this is an opportunity for you to learn more about your nation's history Andrew Mm -hmm. you can read this book and be like I don't know enough about the track of the Mormons west to Utah and then you could go read another book about that to expand your knowledge base that's fair I think I'm just going to continue reading all of the Gates family mystery books that's my preferred way of learning let's talk (laughs) about this book which of course has on its cover a big train. But they never ride on a train. They never even talk about one. They don't even see one. They don't smell one. <laughs> they don't miss one. They don't talk yeah. about getting onto one. Zero train representation in the train This book. should not be a train. It should be like that big, it should be one of those big rock formations that you see out west. Mm-hmm. You maybe know, like maybe a wagon one, train if, we're, if, we're, if we need to... A wagon? 
train. You know, if we need to represent, you know, transportation of some sort, maybe a, a carriage that they ride for half the book, maybe a wagon, wagon train. Wagon train, Matt, would be really good. I know. Given I, that they spend a third of the book on a wagon well, train. Well, I think it's just like someone emailed the artist and was like, wagon train. And then he, you know, someone accidentally deleted the word wagon and he was like, great, train. It's called Westford Bound, like easy, piece of cake. And I don't imagine there was a ton of oversight from Disney corporate on these on these books. So they are. It was the, fun. To- well, it seems like there was enough oversight that the next two were written, but like k- kiboshed. So uh, the, these last two books seem to be developing this thing. Like the series seems to be developing this thing where the books are about something. I'm doing air quotes, but then they're only sort of about it, right? Like Uncharted, you really think starting that book, like this is about someone exploring the Louisiana Purchase. And it's like, sort of, they're not allowed to join the expedition and they get lost and that's tough. And then this one, it's the same sort of thing. It's like they're westward bound-ish. They're going to head west. They do end up in the west and they stay there and they build their lives. Okay. All right. (laughs) So, you know, it's a little bit better than I think Uncharted on that front. I'm pissed off about the train. Let's get to the beginning. And as am I, as is Matt, as are we all. Let's talk about the beginning of this book. The first thing, well, I guess I've been talking a lot. Hannah, how do you feel about the beginning of this book coming off the heels of Uncharted, which I feel like let us both down a little bit? Well, uh, what's funny about this book is having recently rewatched the first National Treasure, and there's all that talk about whatever Thomas Gates and Charles Carroll gave him this message, and it was 1820 or nine or 30 or something like that this book takes place in 1848 so they have received the infamous clue Mm -hmm. from national treasure one and none of them know what to do with it um which has whatever was happening at the end of uncharted which i remember finding very disappointing and then erasing from my brain you know is not picked up here at all i think uncharted basically wipes the slate clean kinda like adam and ellie are the main characters of the previous book Right. But the only like carry through is that Adam is like, ha, that was a fun time. I'm not going to tell my son about it because he's the boring one. I'm only going to spend time with my son who got this exciting clue from CCFC, Charles Carroll or Carrollton. Right. What are you asking for here, man? I don't really remember the be- the very fir- beginning of this book. So oh, you sure. Just, I'm just you trying just do to what you want to do. How do you, <laughs> you feel about this book? How do you so, like? I, I can talk about the very beginning of this book. I thought okay. it was a really interesting place to start in terms of like all those national treasure tropes and stuff because so much of it is the interiority of this like very emotional kid. And you know, it was it was fun to read this book because I could do it in approximately you know five hours total. And uh, it's just a good kind of like YA coming adventure, coming of age adventure book. Like certainly it's better at that than like being a, a clue focused national treasure book. But for it to start in that place where like this kid is from this family and he feels so alienated and they just love treasure and they just love clues. And he's like, I'm this practical boy and I want to build a life. And my brother-in-law is a big butthead because he doesn't appreciate how <laughs> practical I am. Like it, I, I did think that for, you know, I mean, I knew it would be like, all right, you have to find a clue. You got to make a decision. You got to go. Uh, I thought it was fun. Yeah. To see him start from that, like familial insecurity. And then for him to go on an adventure and be like, you know, treasure, 
can mean a lot of different things. And treasure is kind of fun, you know? Like, I'm sorry I sat on my ass. It was nice to, like, find a clue and for the clue to be like, dude, just, like, leave. Go west. Who cares? I thought that was a really fun, kind of nuanced place to start for, for our friend James Gates. The thing that struck me starting this was, like, the as you touched on Matt, the sort of like vitriol of the main character, which is not something we've seen in the the protagonist of these other books. There's been characters like this, like in the first book. There's the guy and his dad lost all the family's money, and his brother is really like, "Our dad's such an idiot," and like, but the main character is sort of like, "Our dad is he has his flaws." It was uh, a little jarring to open one of these books, and like the main character is basically like. I am the less loved son. I'm mad about it. My father's a kook who's obsessed with treasure. And also, on top of that, he won't even share his kook habit with me or his hobby with me. He's like, I'm nothing to him. What I find most shocking about that in particular is that his dad is the hero of the previous book. Yeah, is that guy true? we like, yes, yes. So liked, you already spent liked time guy. with. Wait, wait, actually. And then me, he shows up in this that. book and he's like a bad dad. And I was so, like, damn. So did you come into this book being like, whoa, our buddy Thomas, right? That's his name? Our buddy Tom- Adam. 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 Thomas is, Thomas the, older is the oldest brother. Okay. So our yeah. buddy Adam Gates, he's back. He successfully explored the uncharted Louisiana Purchase. Were you excited to see him again? Uh, sort of. I mean, we've talked about this a little in previous episodes, but like the the time difference between book one and book two is like 120 years, and then the difference between book two and book three is like 20 years. Okay. And yeah. then this one is also like 30 years. Like it's getting small. Got it. Um. So I I was glad to have him back. I expected him back. I did not expect him to grow up and to be such a patoot. You know. I'm gonna have all these kids. Stinker. I'm gonna have all these kids. I'm gonna talk nonstop about treasure because I once went on a treasure hunt. I imagine. And then yeah, for him to just cut out his youngest kid and uh yeah for that bitterness really just to come from a place of like i wish you cared more about the horse and carriages that we were renting like i wish you were a better businessman and a worse treasure hunter i guess he's a pretty bad treasure hunter too so Mm -hmm. it's just Mm -hmm. like a lose-lose he also seems to have grown up to be kind of like a flighty person Mm. like part of his deal in uncharted is that he's like very practical and he's like we should go home this is very dangerous wow and then having a successful treasure hunt has just turned him into like a guy who's like woo in the clouds it seems like (laughs) man that is fascinating that would be a real change in character i i wrote down at, uh, at the beginning of this book that adam is the most sort of impotent of the gates uh, in that, even in his prime, in his book, where, where he's the protagonist, his story is like, I'm searching for two treasures, but I have them confused, and I have the clues all crisscrossed, and blah, 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 blah. And then he, like, finds one, and he's like, it wasn't that good, but it's fun to find it. And he, and most of that his book is like him getting lost in the woods, and then he grows up to be a distant and cranky father. I was like, this this is the worst Gates. <laughs> Yeah, he's the worst Gates. I agree with you there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, Andrew, in previous books, you've complained that you felt like the tone, the jokiness, the sort of interpersonal dynamics did not feel like National Treasure to you. Did this one feel better? 
where you have like a guy, a spunky girl, and a conspiracy boy? Yes, yes. This I I enjoyed that as this series went on, it started to conform to the <laughs> dynamics of the original series. Uh, yeah, in general, I I do want to go through the plot of this book a little bit, but in general, I I enjoyed it. Uh, I essentially read it in about one sitting, and I do feel that it already is keeping a little less in memory than the other ones, and I think a reason behind that, it's like almost impossible to discuss this book without discussing the twist. Maybe we should just get it out of the way. Which yeah, go is, ahead. What's that? Do it, yeah. Oh, do it, great. I'd love to. Uh, the, these characters, uh, basically, James is like, I have found these letters to my father, Adam, uh, and they're from my aunt, Ellie, also a major character in the last book. And I'm going to follow these clues that she's given us because I think she's hinting at how she's found a fortune out west and she wants us to come get it. And um, the the clues, they keep throughout the book going like, these clues are really straightforward. They are really strangely straightforward. We are walking along the most popular route to get to this place and the clues keep being like, keep walking, keep going that way. <laughs> and then, you're doing great, honey. <laughs> you're doing amazing. <laughs> and they get clues that seem cryptic, where it'll be like, when you get to the courthouse steps, then closer to where you need to be, let's, or whatever. And they're like, courthouse, what? And then they, the next day, pass something called like courthouse rock. And it's like, I guess we were going the right way. The twist is they get to aunt ellie and she's just like oh your dad and i used to love doing treasure hunts this was just a fun thing i wanted him to come visit me i don't have treasure <laughs> the real treasure was the family we had along the way yeah it sounds like the real treasure was book three of this series <laughs> <laughs> i do like that twist though which by the way they kind of like realize and discuss early on in this book like they're like this might just be these two friends writing letters to each other but maybe not maybe there's actual gold maybe there's gold and so yeah for them to, for them to get to the west coast all the way across this giant country and aunt ellie to be like you look just like your dad it's great to see you i'm the treasure it was, it was <laughs> It was expected. The treasure is me and all of your cousins and all these people who do love you and value you in the way mm -hmm. your dad didn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Hannah, I do hear you on that. Uh, I think that this is markedly different than some of the other books because this series has already pulled on us. Uh, you know, the real treasure was the journey. That was kind of book one because they found this treasure that was val valuable to the Native American population. The real treasure in book one was cultural heritage. Great, great, but... But for our protagonists, who who very avidly were like, I don't care about this treasure. It's not for white people. Uh, their treasure was like, you know, we went on this journey. It was amazing, whatever. This is uh, definitely a de-escalation and an intentional one. But this, not only is there no treasure at the end of this book, they essentially revealed that they were never on a treasure hunt as they understood it to be. It, it did not feel like a treasure hunt the entire way, though. Like, it really was. Uh, I kept thinking about how this is not 
this is not a book. This is not a structure where you have to solve these clues and you are rewarded with the next clue. It's a book where you start with all the clues in your pocket and you just have to like remember they're there or like find yeah. the downtime, <laughs> find the downtime to actually pull them out and discuss them with your friends. And, you know, I think that speaks to, I'm not saying the the move out west would have been easy, but I think you would have had a little bit more time to be like, right, can we just solve these all right now? (laughs) (laughs) I do feel like when they have Mr. Clark in their carriage or whatever, Mm -hmm. and he's like, I'll take a look at the clues with you. He's immediately like, oh, well, that's what this one means. Let me look at the next one. Let me look at as many of these as possible before I have to part ways with you guys. He would have solved them uh, all too. He'd have been like, he'd have been like, yeah. great. I mean, it sounds like you have to go to, uh, you know, seven thousand and four Saint Mission Drive. Just like these are probably <laughs> from your Aunt Ellie, I would imagine. <laughs> the way that you just described it, uh, Matt, it really does sound like elite treasure hunting. Like, I feel like it would be harder if someone gave me a pile of clues and they were like, "I got these from places. I'm not telling you where. Find the treasure," because then you'd have to be like. I don't even know the sequence here. I need to figure out what leads to what before I can even figure out what's final, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so it sounds good. It's just that, like, by this metric that's been established in book four, Forever Free, book five, could be, and I would read this book for the mm-hmm. record, could be about a Gates family member finding a clue that they think is a treasure hunt but it's actually one of my love scavenger hunts and then they get to the end and i'm like you're not my current girlfriend you know i don't know what era we're in in the book um well forever free as mentioned in the back of westward bound is set in 1872 so we're avoiding the gates involvement in the civil war okay just dodging that completely they were busy you know out west settling california But the rest of them were in Maryland, and this one says, after the death of his father, Charles Gates, who is one of the brothers in this book, I think. Mm -hmm. Or maybe he turns out to be one of the brothers' sons, I would guess, because all of the protagonists are 18 years old in these books. (laughs) Um, Wants nothing more than to turn his back on his family's never-ending quest for treasure. (laughs) Another guy who hates treasure. But then he meets Daniel, a young freed slave who needs his help. Now, along with Daniel, Charles sets off on a journey to uncover a treasure that civil rights figures like Frederick Douglass, Harriet Beecher Stowe, and Sojourner Truth fought to protect, never lose, and keep, dot, 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 forever free. I would read it. I'm not going to lie. Look, I would too, but it doesn't exist. We can't. I'm hoping we someday figure out a way to read it. Uh, We'll probably get, like, sued or something. It's Disney, so... Look, if Catherine Hapka, who I assume is listening right now, has those manuscripts, and she just wants to share them privately, we don't have to talk about them. We can just read them for our own pleasure and knowledge. Yeah. And Matt's pleasure and knowledge. And then, that's all. And I keep the secret forever, Catherine. I want to say to Catherine Hafka specifically, since I just edited the Changing Tides episode, that I am a person with an extremely thin skin. And (laughs) if I were to listen to a podcast about a book I wrote and it was like, you know, 30% critical of the book, which is probably about where we fell on that one, I'd probably be crushed. I've said it on other episodes. If you wrote a book and like 
you know, it wasn't hateful or something, that's an accomplishment that's astounding and I haven't done. So, if you somehow made it four episodes into our National Treasure series, we like you. Please, please Look, send I us the manuscripts. I like this best of all, actually. Yeah, I had a great time with this book. I thought it was delightful. Uh, so, <laughs> I, I would read five, five and six. I, I, happily. This is, this is my only frame of reference, and I would wholeheartedly agree. Uh, I, I read it last <laughs> night, and one of the nephews came up to me and was like, what are you reading? And I told him, and he loves the National Treasure books, or the movies, rather. And so I read him a chapter. He of the loves book. the books. He <laughs> loves. I mean, he <laughs> does now. No, I read him a chapter, and he was really into it. And, uh, and like Matt, I we've said, needed kids. You had to let us know you had all these kids. We want to have <laughs> kids come on and talk about these books. Nice. Okay, next time. Next time you need kids, I, I'll, I'll farm it out to all the <laughs> insane, rabid nephews. Uh, but yeah, it was really breezy to just sit down and just like go on this like honestly like low, low stakes very enjoyable uh the world is your oyster adventures looking for treasure and finding friends it's it's a good way to spend a couple hours for sure hannah pitch me on the book a little bit i liked it okay. i did but it's not particularly bowling me over i think because of the lack of like legitimate uh american treasure uh, so what mm. what did it for you in this one? Uh, I think I really like the characters' interpersonal dynamics. I I I like Seamus Pool. I was happy to have a little conspiracy pool back on the table. Um, Matt, for your context, we have a pool in the previous book, but he's like a feral child. Oh my god! <laughs> that the gates like bring into their family because he's like an orphan with um nothing going for him and he just sparks to these conspiracy theories immediately I, er, well this is his son who's a conspiracy boy and i was like this runs in the pool family the i love time, this forever I was like, man it's a good thing we invented american sports because like <laughs> these freaks care so much about the Freemasons and about the Mormons <laughs> and about all these conspiracy theories. I'm like, you people have too much time on your hands, man. Like, wait until baseball rolls around, then you can root for the Mets like a normal kid. <laughs> then you can that be mentally healthy, like people who root for the Mets year after year. <laughs> <laughs> These kids are all weird freaks, and I really liked them. Like, James is, like, bitter and grumpy most of the time. He's also, like, in love with a girl who spends most of her time dressed like a boy, and he finds that really confusing, which is fun for me. Um, Seamus also has a crush on her, but they just, none of them ever discuss it with each other. They never have a fight. <laughs> they just all are, like, having a complicated teenage situation. Like... I think all of that's super fun. And the Westerns, the moving West stuff is exciting to me. The various landmarks. Like, I looked up, like, midway through the book, I Googled, like, what were the, where do the wagon trails go? Like, I, I don't really know. Where are we right now? Are we in Nevada? Are we in Oklahoma? I don't know. And that was cool and fun for me. Um, I'm glad there isn't a bunch of, like, oh, man, those Western Native Americans, they're scary. We just don't do that in this book, which was yep. nice. And instead they do like, Mormons, they're scary. And everyone's like, no, they're not. They're fine. They're just people. They're just doing their thing. <laughs> really dug that. And then there's like the gold hunt thing where they're like, we have to find gold. And they do. And then they shove a guy off a cliff and he dies. And that was fun. I have the most second grade, <laughs> second grade question about the gold rush, which is mm -hmm. like, was any of the gold real? 
Oh yes. yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, man. Big time. Oh, so I, I, I'm, I'm from California. So in elementary school, whatever year you get your state's history, the California state history was like mostly about the gold rush. You know, it was about like mm-hmm. the railroads and a little bit about how poorly uh, Chinese migrant workers were treated building those railroads. And then it was just like, but you know what? Gold gold in them their hills and so we would do like fake panning for gold and we would dress up like miners and my favorite football team was the was the 49ers and uh yeah there was a lot of gold uh obviously there were a lot of like crushed dreams as well but you know for it to facilitate this like massive economy of new people moving west and you can make levi jeans now and stuff like that because there was a market for it it was a big deal for sure Okay, I thought it was all fake. <laughs> uh, it feels especially American for it to be all fake, but for once <laughs> in our goddamn life. Some of it was real. <laughs> wow. And some people made a lot of money on it. And it's all gone? <laughs> I can't go out there yeah, now? Um, yeah, I think it's too late for you to go find gold in the California hills. All right. <laughs> it's maybe not impossible, I don't know, but it seems like not... Not like a safe bet. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of amazing in this book that, like, the second place they try panning, Seamus finds a fuck ton of gold. Oh, yes. I know. Oh, I know. <laughs> one of one of many conveniences that uh, <laughs> that made the, the Wild West seem not so particularly wild for our, you know, <laughs> for our young protagonists. But, again, all the better. This is also a book chock full of, like, historical figures just sprinkled in. In ways that I, w- I was so, f- it was so fun for me. Like, there was a point I turned a page and they're like, oh, look, it's Kit Carson. And I just like broke out in giddy laughter. <laughs> or when, like, on the next, they're, then they're like, oh, no, look, it's, this is a nice young man. He's Samuel Clemens, later to be known as Mark Twain. And I was like, ha ha ha. And the next page, they were like, Jesse James is here as a baby. And I was like, this is great. Wow, you like really that stuff brought me a lot of pleasure. Oh, yeah. You really blew my bit up. I was going to pretend for a while that I didn't know that was Mark Twain. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, buddy. And then they run into a really nice boy whose name is said a lot. <laughs> they really do a thing where, like, he helps them, and then, like, Shanghai Noon or Shanghai Night style, he's like, My name is Samuel Clemens. <laughs> And I gotta go. I would love to be on a riverboat someday. See ya. <laughs> Your dad went up and down the Mississippi River on like a paddle boat? Interesting. <laughs> that gives me an idea. Um, okay. Somewhat walking through this, I want to. There's a couple passages I want to hit because I, I just really like, the, for the most part, the writing in this book. Um, yeah, it's good. Page two. We get some updates on our Eleanor and Adam from the last book. So our main character, James, uh, is told by... Who's David? His brother? One of his brothers? David David is the uh, his brother-in-law's brother? His, his, so, yeah, his, <laughs> sorry, sorry. His sister's new husband's little brother is David. Yeah, no, you got it right, Ben. <laughs> brother-in-law's nice. brother. Oof. I thought for a long time uh, when I was a child that brother-in-law, that you called them husband-in-law. Interesting. And then I was corrected at like age 18. Somebody was like, that's just a husband. It's by law. Hmm. Anyway. uh, Okay. 
You can't blame the old man for going the whole hog, David shrugged. This is uh, for, for the, the wedding of the sister to an undesirable man who will sort of take over the family business. He isn't growing any younger, eh? And Elle's his only daughter, after all. That was true enough. In addition to being the only girl in a family of males, Eleanor was named after her father's beloved twin sister, who had moved to far-off California nearly 15 years earlier with her explorer husband. Perhaps it would be no wonder that Adam Benjamin Gates, at a remarkably well-preserved 62 years of age, wished to make this occasion special for the younger Eleanor. He had even managed to procure for her the white satin dress of her dreams, modeled closely after that worn by Queen Victoria of England some eight years ago. James had to admit that in it, Eleanor, normally a rather sour and argumentative person, had never looked so lovely nor so happy. The thing that's so sad about this is that this prologue goes on to be like, it was this beautiful, wonderful ceremony that they very much could not afford. And no one could really escape the anxiety of how are we paying for this type of deal. I don't know. It made me kind of deeply sad that they were having this wonderful moment and, and the protagonist the whole time was like, and we are going to run out of money, which will give my asshole brother-in-law even more control of the company. Uh, on the one hand, I was like, how much of that is just James being like especially kind of frustrated with how his dad like acts and how his dad runs the family business. And on the other hand, I was like, that also seems appropriate for the time. Just mm -hmm. living on the edge, sort of doing the societal customs because you have to. And all of a sudden, yeah, you've spent so much money on your only daughter's wedding extravaganza. But yeah, it, it's an interesting way to introduce James just as this like, consistent worrier who has to uh grow into his own sense of self-confidence as as the journey goes on yeah it was interesting yeah speaking of that on page 42 um there's like a sad sad little passage um Perhaps I should just keep heading west from St. Louis, as Seamus suggests, James thought, feeling rebellious. I could solve those clues from Aunt Ellie's letter and track down whatever valuables she's, she's referring to. And if that didn't work out, perhaps mine for some of that gold in California and make my fortune that way. Then his shoulders slumped as he realized that he would never have the gumption to do anything of the sort. Besides, it would do little to change his father's feelings towards him. He doubted anyone would notice or miss him. They would only wonder what had become of the coach and horses, forgetting he'd been there at all. <laughs> Which is so sad. Yeah. And I think a well-written way that teenagers feel like nobody even cares about me. Oh, yeah. Nobody would even miss me if I was gone. Uh -huh. um, uh, good. This is my and favorite thing about like, the book. Then, like, punch him into the adventure so that he can, like, discover his own internal strength and value. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in each of the previous books, even if somebody criticizes their parent or whatever they are like my dad's a good guy he's just a buffoon or you know my dad he was a great dad but he's obsessed with treasure hunting now it's weird this book legitimately is like i have actual problems with my father and at times they feel maybe imagined but also at times it feels like no adam actually has been a distant father and james has reason to doubt which I get very sad when I watch specifically like sitcoms and they have 
conflict in the episode where they're like, I don't really know if my brother-in-law loves me, like, blah, 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 all this stuff. I don't know if we're, like, a family unit. And then at the end, everyone hugs and everything's okay. And I think it's because a lot of times when I've had, like, issues in life with other people, they don't end up okay. And I watch, like, sitcoms and I'm like, oh, so if I'm a real person, I'm just fucked? If I could give you some advice, Andrew... (laughs) Don't go to sitcoms for real no, life look, emotional stakes. <laughs> I recognize that I recognize that they aren't real. I'm just saying like if you're going to watch a sitcom for another reason, you're going to experience that aspect where they artificially accelerate you towards a sentimental conclusion, right? That's what sitcoms are for. No, They're I get episodic. it. I get you it. wrap it up in the episode. You don't want to carry a bunch of baggage forward. Look, all I'm saying is that it, I'm mad at you for like being mad at sitcoms. Look, all, all I'm saying is that it ideally is supposed to make you feel good. It's like, I either don't watch it, I either turn off the last five minutes of an episode, or it makes me feel a lot worse than I did before I started watching the I episode. I worry about you. I think you should... <laughs> div- I don't think that's how you should be engaging with sitcoms. That's unfair to them, and it hurts you. Man, I really thought that I'd find some solidarity here. I feel this very, very strongly, that when fictional things are like... Are, are are patched up too too easily that it's actually like deeply sad. I'm Just because you think this. it's unrealistic? No, it's because in my like I'm I'm doing fine. Because you've I, never had an easy solve on a difficult exactly, problem. Exactly. Exactly. It's like because the the problems that trouble Have my you considered s- being in a sitcom? Yeah, I I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've heard that everyone that's on a sitcom as an actor is super happy all the time. Um, no, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm sticking with this. I think that I I wouldn't be surprised if other people feel this way. If I'm the only one that feels this way, that's upsetting. I I understand watching like a movie or whatever and be like, man, that didn't wrap up satisfactorily. Like it all went too fast. I don't feel like I got the closure I needed. Like that doesn't, that doesn't ring true to me in something that has like narrative drama in it Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever. I think that you came at this from sitcom world, like, really just steams my clams. Like, that's just insane. No, I think the issue, Hannah, that I have is that, and this pops up in some movies, but I think the issue is that sitcoms, like uh, like many, like, Disney movies or whatever, they're sort of underscored by this feeling of, like, be yourself and we all love you for it at the end of the day. And, like, that's often the resolution. It's like, we are a family. We are a whatever. Look, I hate a CBS sitcom that has a lesson in every episode as much as the hold, next Hold girl. up, hold up. All I'm saying, I feel like this is, dar- this is darker than you're giving it credit. Like, <laughs> all I'm saying is that, like, if you are a person who sometimes, once again, to the listener, I'm doing fine. Everything in my life is good. But if you're a person who sometimes feels like people see you or see an aspect of you and are like, I truly don't like it. Like where you feel like that anxiety, which maybe not everyone has. Yeah, those upset me when people look at like a sitcom or when a sitcom ends and it's like, you know what? At the end of the day, we're all good. And we're all family. It's like, eh. but what if like I have a real problem? I'm going to recommend Simply then must you acknowledge that the storylines in this this sitcoms are we didn't actually have a real problem? Yeah. We got through the problem. It wasn't a real problem. It wasn't a deal breaker. It wasn't an unacceptable red flag. It wasn't like you're a monster. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. This is a little off the rails. Anyway. I would really like to have a 
an example of an episode that upsets you because it ends too well. <laughs> well, I stopped like, watching them a that, long time ago. Come back to me because I want to have like an in-depth conversation. I, I, about look, that. I, I know that I'm about to mention a sitcom that no one likes, but like first season Modern Family, when it was funny at least, if not poignant, it 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 made I was like hanging out with people who would watch it and it made me really sad the ends the endings made me really deeply sad do you think that maybe you've come to a place in your life now where they wouldn't make you sad because you are like a happy healthy adjusted person (laughs) in a way that you didn't used to be okay anyone suggesting that 2014 (laughs) me was not the pinnacle of human achievement Look, as a person who went to see the Disney live-action Dumbo and then cried for five hours, you know, I'm not literally, literally like five hours. It's not an exaggeration. I can't, I mean, you're allowed to feel how you feel, but in that moment, I was like looking at myself sobbing, and I was like, this is not a healthy response to that (laughs) tiny elephant, you know? This is a me problem. Yeah. I think, well, well, we'll get back to the book, but <laughs> I think that the difference I maybe, love you and I support you, but I want you to be able to watch half-hour comedies, my dude. Well, I really like the ones that aren't, that are are just biting. I like the ones that are, that like, don't tag a, a message onto the end, like your, your Seinfelds, your Always Sunnies. Yeah, both good sitcoms. Yeah, it's just really yeah. when the laughs turn into, like... Do you like happy endings? No, I've I've never watched it, but I that's is who's uh, who's should. the hunk? Oh, um well the like I don't know, everybody's a hunk on that. But it's... isn't there isn't there one of my guys, isn't like Dilla Hunt on it or something? No. Oh. Uh it's uh are you thinking of um Adam Pally? I guess. Like <laughs> <laughs> a, a patootie, a cutie. Okay, so I mean Zachary Knighton, a guy I've followed from show to show, though none of them are ever as good. Okay, so we've identified that I'm the only person who gets sad during sitcoms, and the reason I brought that up was because something I like a lot about this book is that it it doesn't do the hand-waving of, uh, we're all family, we're all whatever. It's like, no, things are a little sad, um, and it felt real. I mean, do we think he ever sees his dad again in his whole life? Unclear. I was kind of thinking no. I was kind of thinking that... And maybe this is me just like pr- projecting my own baggage on on this adjusted kid, but the way he phrases it at the end when they've made it through the West and they've they've settled in California and he starts a correspondence via letter with his dad and that seems to go really well and he has that line about like you know the distance between them had never been bigger but their connection had never been closer, which I think is a really nice sentiment. And that feels like something that I I would be scared of proving wrong, you know, like that connection over mm-hmm. letter, which uh, which I've always been fascinated by as someone who grew up like on AOL Instant Messenger and stuff or writing emails to people that like, cool, we can keep up a correspondence while we're writing to each other and while I can polish up what I want to say and how I want to present myself. But as soon as we like meet up in person again, dad, like, how's that going to be? So, I don't know. I don't think they ever saw each other again. I, I feel that. 
I think I agree with you. It travels hard. It takes a long time to go east to west and west to east. Mm-hmm. I find yeah. it really rewarding that they patch things up in the end over letter. I'm not just a guy who's like, show me pain. I feel pain. <laughs> I need to <laughs> see it in the world. Andrew. I just like that they earn it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, I agree. I also like earned reconciliations. I'm with you. I agree. At the beginning, uh, the passage is sort of sets up the animosity between father and son, which animosity is even too strong of a word. Just the rift is, um, ba, 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 ba. what is it? James asked warily, sure that he would not like whatever it was his father had to say. The two had never been completely at ease with each other. His brother, Will, who never hesitated to voice any thought that entered his mind, had often said it was because their mother had died giving birth to James, and Adam had never forgiven it. For his part, James thought the blame could be placed on Adam. He couldn't help but wonder what had possessed his father to uproot the entire family upon the death of his own father, moving abruptly from Concord to Maryland, mere weeks before James was born. Had that journey weakened his mother just enough to take her from this life at the moment of his arrival in it? He would never know, but his active mind constantly imagined what life might be like had the movie never happened. Move! Would his mother... Not movie. Would his mother still be alive to this day? Would James have found the acceptance, care, and companionship among his conquered cousins that he had always felt he lacked with his fathers and brothers? Would their branch of the family now be prosperous and respected, rather than the laughingstock of the neighborhood. Okay, now my turn to be judgmental about the way people psychologically conduct themselves, which is even I, the sitcom weeper, (laughs) recognize that the level of, like, what if, what if, what if he's doing here is, like, deeply unhealthy. Yeah. I mean, he has many unresolved issues with his father and his dead mother. And do we think that Adam moved them from Concord to chase the CCFC or simply to facilitate the plot point in National Treasure 1, which is that this boy at this time period is in Maryland? I think he wants to move to Concord <coughs> for uh, to work for Carrollton because there's that clue in the last book about Carrollton. Mm-hmm. Now they like work for him. It, it seems like that seems like connective tissue to me. So his dad sends him into Washington, D.C. to pick up a friend, a little buddy. Um, He goes with his brother, Thomas, and Thomas is like, I'm going to do my own thing. So this is on you, bro. Bye. See ya. While they are there, seeing the cornerstone being laid for the Washington Monument, which is pretty nifty. Pretty cool. They meet a a fellow conspiracy boy who says their name is Sam. And they get along really well. And they're like, let's exchange addresses and become pen pals, which is super cute and fun. Um, I reread the passage person, a million times where they mm-hmm. set up what they were doing uh, on this errand. where Because the passage is something like, so anyway, you know, Frank Poole from the last book, he has a son. And then also, I need you to go do a thing with mail. And then also hang out with the sun, babysit the sun. It was like, I really, I reread it so many times. Yeah, here's what it is. Yeah. Thomas wants to go see the cornerstone laying event, Mm -hmm. right? So he's going to go into Washington, D.C. And Adam, the dad, is like, look, you got to pick up Seamus Poole, who has taken the train down from New York because of a cholera epidemic or some shit. So he's been sent away for Mm -hmm. his own safety. But Thomas isn't going to do it because he's not interested. So you have to go with him and do it. And he's like, okay. 
And on the way back, you got to pick up some mail. That's it. Mm. Oh, is that the mail that they kind of forget about at one point too, when they're like already on the journey with, there's another thing with mail at yeah. some point when they're picking that up. That happens the... in Uncharted as well. They pick up mail and then forget about it and take it. <laughs> I, that, that, that seems to track historically though. I'll give them that. The idea of mail being like the hottest commodity in the world when it's like our only job is to get it from point A to point B, but that is so <laughs> difficult to do. So you have to be very attentive to the letters. I imagine. I had a uh, a package that was supposed to be coming from Amazon like a month ago, and it was a book and Rockstar energy drinks, and then they just both got marked undeliverable, which I found funny because I was like, that's a bunch of Rockstar energy drinks exploding on a book. <laughs> if they're both undeliverable, that was a dual disaster. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the as Hannah is adamant about, the inciting incident of this involves uh, a, a a bounty uh, in which yeah. uh, James, James realizes Sorry, that the boy that they met on the mall was not a boy. It was a runaway girl whose name is Sally Chandler. Is that right? Sally Chandler, yeah. Yeah, and, and that there's a reward for her because she is a missing girl. So he goes to her dad, and her dad is like, she ran away from home. We're very worried. We just want to get her back. It's no big deal. I promise. And he's like, okay. And agrees to set up, like, <laughs> a sting operation. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, right? Also ties it into they've agreed to take Meriwether Clark, a junior, the well, not a junior, right? Because the son of right, whatever the Clark's son of, name is, yeah. I think William Clark, but he's taken Meriwether's named first after name. Meriwether. Because yeah. when you're on a when you're on an adventure with a guy for a long time, you name your kid after him. That's a nice. I, I thing did think to it do. was a little weird to do it when your buddy hasn't died. I'm into it. Some cultures frown on that, yeah, but um, I didn't know that. They're doing it. I I want it to happen if I'm ever on an adventure with somebody. It should feel. It feels like an obligation. Yeah. Because yeah. we're in the it's shit like together. like a respectful... Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. I, Matt and I go on an adventure together, and then, like, I come visit his house two years later, and I'm like, your baby's name is Paul? <laughs> Excuse me? Excuse me? What about the yeah, time we went down I think if you spent, like, three years... Store, we went down <laughs> and bought hot dogs at 7-Eleven, Andrew. It's an adventure. What about this that time I left you clues to the quarry that was down the street from your house? <laughs> <laughs> so, so i love that for you guys so, hannah you know what i'm sorry i was mean to you earlier you're a treasured friend and also you can come on our you know you are my national treasure andrew wow oh like complimenting hannah i just get to get it back like tenfold um <laughs> but then i stop passing the buck so i just i just mm -hmm. hold it it's really nice yeah um, we have a really equitable relationship really <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving to me uh, yeah, but you can come on our fictional uh, adventure that uh, involves only local areas. That seems like it could be the fifth book, given how anticlimactic the fourth one was. I'm sure the, the sixth one has to do with bootlegging. I feel pretty sure about that. That's a good so idea. That's high stakes. Uh -huh. Thank you. So I am thinking as James sets up Sally to be recaptured, 
that this is very mercenary of him. Mm-hmm. He's just like, oh, you're looking for your daughter who ran away. I know where she is. I'll help you get her. And only when this, the the trap works and she's about to be taken in, is he like, this actually feels a little not so great. <laughs> to his credit, I think he would. It is immediate. It is yes. right away. He's like, oh, and wait he's a feeling second. it a little bit before. He's like, uh, we're going to the town square where something that I hope I'm emotionally okay with will happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I like how much of that is I just think- the anxiety of like <clears throat> getting the dominoes to fall the right way too, where everything he's like being rushed, but also waiting. And he's just like, well, I need this person to arrive before this person arrives so that I can spring the trap appropriately. And it's a lot to balance when you're 18 years old and it's your first time you've sold someone out <laughs> to their mean future husband yeah i mean it really is that future husband shows up and he's like i'm a misogynist pig and james is like oh no i've made a huge mistake Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think if like um you know like they trap sally and her dad was like i was so worried about you thank god you're all right maybe james would feel a little less bad about the whole situation Mm -hmm. but it becomes so apparently clear that her father is selling her essentially um to a bad person. Oh, yeah. These books continue to have villains that have almost no redeeming qualities. The thing that makes this one a little more tolerable than books one and three is even though it has this dynamic of like, we're being chased, the bad guys, they're coming to get us, they're not around every goddamn <laughs> corner. That's true. In the last book, Matt, the Brewsters were <laughs> everywhere. Everywhere. It was insane. And they're like in the middle of fucking nowhere with no civilization. And they're like paddling around a riverbed. And there they are. They hiked in a subterranean cave for like three miles, popped up on the like other side of this island. And they were like, oh, a boat. Let's wait for help. Oh, no, it's the people who chased us into the cave. (laughs) Yeah, it was insane. This is much better. Like there was a point where somebody says like, oh, yeah, I heard through the the grapevine that those guys are still in Missouri looking for you and you're way out here. So you're good for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was nice. I so did like listener- how, how leisurely a lot of their journey was in that regard where it was like all of a sudden months would pass and it's like, and then it was spring and we spent all winter working this farm and now I'm buff and now I'm in love with Sally. <laughs> I, I, thought like, yeah. I saw her in her underwear one time and now we're in I'll love. I'll never forget <laughs> it ever. <laughs> Uh, it must be so fun to be like a person from the 1800s who just really awoogas out at like the mu- the underwear that just covers every inch of a person's body. That would be so fun. I saw your to silhouette. To be fair to James, he sees her whole silhouette. <laughs> it is a very cin- exactly cinematic image. They're like climbing the ladder into the hayloft, and like the light hits you know her in her nightgown just right. We have to clarify, Matt, because that makes it sound like they did it. Uh, Oh, yeah. This is a very chaste book. As far as I know, no one was doing (laughs) much of anything except for a little bit of oogly oogly. Yeah, some big ooga oogas, tongues rolling out onto the floor, but that's about it. Mm -hmm. Very chaste. Very Disney. You know, wolves in zoot suits with their eyes popping out. Yeah, my my ideal man is a a nice boy who can't handle seeing a, a table leg. (laughs) <laughs> um, and so, along the uh, way, 
can I can I point out one of my other favorite earlier scenes? And I think this goes to like, yeah, one of the things that I liked the best, which was like I mentioned, James just uh, gaining his confidence. I love that moment when he's doing the he's driving the getaway car basically, and they're like skidding around. And Meriwether Clark is like, hey, when I'm in a bind. I always appreciate it when my partners keep their head on straight. And James was like, oh my God, he's talking about me. I did such a good job on the adventure. I drove the getaway car so good. And like that early moment when he's like, wait a second, am I, am I hot shit? Just that like little bit of paternal love and affection really worked for him. And that really worked for me. So that was another moment where I was like, okay, I'm enjoying the interiority of this. I'm enjoying the like, yeah, the, the, the treasure is the journey kind of, kind of element. So it was really fun. All the characters who come in and out of their stories, I really liked. Like, I was sad when Mary Weather Clark left the story. Mm-hmm. I liked him as a guy who, like, pretends to nap. Pretends <laughs> to nap. Yeah. And then <laughs> conveniently gives these children, they're like, yeah. And every time, right before he would wake up, he would cough and sputter <laughs> noisily to let us know that he was waking up. And then you're going, oh my God, you kids are so adorable. It's so I, cute. I really like liked the first it. time he was like, adventure. these kids are annoying. I'm going to pretend to sleep. And then he was like, oh, these kids are weird. I'm going to listen to their <laughs> conversation. This, this kid is trying to tell me that they're uh, a male. And clearly it's this spunky little girl. <laughs> the, the other guy is talking about Mason shit nonstop. Mm-hmm. Nonstop. The thing I like <laughs> about or, or the thing that surprised me about this development. So for the listener, Meriwether Clark, the son of whatever Clark, the explorer, <laughs> is sitting in the back of their uh, their wagon for like the whole time, uh, the first half of the book. And they're basically doing two plots. They're like, we have to deliver this guy where he needs to go in St. Louis. But also, we're now on the lam regarding the fact that we've, we're helping Sally escape her father and her her husband to be, and w- with a children's book. I mean, Hannah, we must remember that this is a series where, in the first book, they would do treasonous things like steal documents, and then they would just put them in a dog's mouth and be like, "Go wander <laughs> around, boy." And every time, the town would be like, "I guess the dog took it. No one's to blame." Like. <laughs> Reading this book, I, I definitely thought when the kids went, uh, Meriwether Clark sleeps so soundly and, and then we can hear him waking up. I definitely was like, this is another horrible plot contrivance. <laughs> so for it to be revealed that he's like, no, I'm listening because I'm here all the time. That was good. I think these books are kind of growing up with the audience. And Catherine is like, look, this is book four. You can handle a slightly more mm-hmm. complex like and with the villain they really thing. they really hammer that in with the villain where there's a lot of moments where Sally is like you guys don't understand it is still the american middle ages and my dad is the richest man in baltimore do you know the shit you have to do to be the richest man in anywhere in america right now like he is not going to give up he'll just pay people he has the money they're never going to stop looking for us and for that to like be ever present and then kind of like ebb and flow away in a way that always kind of felt natural and and in the way where like yeah they're not just around the corner like you were saying andrew it's just like oh right like we got to be more careful we're we're approaching civilization again we just need to have a conversation about like our plan and hiding out again and can we trust these people and yeah it was a good way to just kind of uh amp up the stakes 
I also like the character detail of how they know that whenever they get to a city, they need to be more careful because they might get caught. But eventually they start going, I don't really want to be that careful, though. I'm so dang tired. And also, I would this, start doing that. I mean, and then they meet the guy with the bear, who is my other favorite character that I need to actually flag. <laughs> yes. There is a bear. There is a man named Grizzly Adams and his bear, Ben, named after Benjamin Franklin, which I think is an incredible name for a, a grizzly bear that you have tamed into being just a cute little fuzzy dog. Uh, and whenever they meet someone like that, they're like, uh, we can trust you. We're going to tell you all our secrets. We need your help to decipher this riddle. And also, do you know where the gold is? Can we have some of it? Please point us in the right direction. We will give you a cut of our winnings. And he's like, all right, it great. So heartwarming that this is like an adult man, right? He looks at a bunch of teens, right? Who are technically adults too, but like- And he's got a way like, to dispose of those bodies. Like he has yeah. a pet there. Like he's good. And instead of being like, I don't care. I hope you die in the Wild West. He's like, I'm going to make sure you're fed and taken care of mm -hmm. and you know where to pan for gold and you can always come to me for help and my bear will kill your enemies. We're friends immediately. <sighs> it's so nice that they meet so many nice people. I will say going into the Westward journey, I was a little bit worried and I don't know what this says about my sitcom preferences, but like some of the tension stuff, I was like, how mean is the world going to be to them? Like, this is still going to be a night. Like, no one's dying of dysentery, right? Like, this is not going to be a harrowing <laughs> Oregon Trail kind of journey. And for it to be just like, yeah, a series of like, oh, my God, you met Mark Twain. Oh, my God, you got to see the sights. And even the like romantic love triangle stuff that is sort of ever present, but, you know kind of just on the surface or just inside of James's own insecure mind. It's really, yeah, it's really pleasant. Definitely keep mentioning the sitcom stuff because Marco definitely cut the whole 10 minutes of it out previously. And now he's like panicking. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm you done. can't do callbacks. <laughs> you can't do it. Like, no, you have to keep everything in, including the part where we berate Andrew for being a weird freak. I think, the, I, oh, I found an example of that, by the way, which is, okay. The, this is a movie, but like Beginners, the Mike Mills movie. We all like that movie? Mm-hmm. I yeah. do. Okay. That's a movie I where I was much. like, I like this movie. I enjoyed watching it. Um, it had such faith in the virtuousness of its characters that I feel like an ugly lump that is irredeemable. Because there's like no moment in that movie where they're like, but this person has like a real flaw that they're kind of like dealing with. It's sort of like... We, we know these are all really good people and they're trying to figure it out. That made me sad. And you hold that against the movie? <laughs> no, it just I'm, it just makes me... I think I gave it like four stars on Letterboxd. It's a good movie. Uh, okay. But it just... Okay. The art does that to me sometimes. Where when they, when they do like a... But many people are inherently good. And I'm like, not all. <laughs> Andrew, you are inherently good. You're allowed to kiss a French girl and grieve your dad. That's fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I won't be shocked about his sexuality late in life, right? I don't know. I can't that's promise up you to that. you and your dad. Yeah, that's <laughs> not a promise I can make. Cool. Um, um, it is kind of shocking, back to Matt's point, that like no one gets like shot by a bandit. Nobody gets eaten by a bear. The worst thing that happens is that Jesse James's dad dies off screen of uh, illness. Mm -hmm. Who was also a very nice man. Just a good dude yeah. who was like, I'll, I'll put you to work on my hemp farm. 
and then we can march across the west together and i'll keep you safe let's do it yeah nice guy if only he had been around to raise his sons <laughs> you know it's the real tragedy in between the lines here <laughs> yeah there's a really uh, funny passage on 40 i know we're just jumping around but Oh my gosh, that's Just so far back. When, it's really early in the story when they are uh, explaining to Adam that Seamus, Seamus Poole, uh, just like gave one of their wagons away for Meriwether Clark to use, essentially. Where they're like, yeah, we'll do your really long, weeks-long trip, whatever. And Adam's furious about it, and it says, do-do-do-do. Uh, and indeed, when Adam first heard the news, he was outraged. How dare you, he cried, staring wide-eyed at Seamus and James. You know we cannot spare a coach for so long at one time. It is madness. I understand, Uncle Adam, Seamus protested. But if you had met the charming Mr. Clark yourself, I am sure. And this just cracks. Anytime people go full pill, it cracks me up. He just turns on a fucking dime. Hold it. Adam held up one hand. Is he... Might he be relation to the late William Clark, by chance? Seamus nodded. Indeed he is. He is the man's own son, Merriweather. James gazed in surprise at his father, whose expression had suddenly changed from anger to a sort of confused wonder. Had the whole world gone mad? What was it about this Merriweather Clark that could cause people to react in such extraordinary <laughs> ways? He Sounds had certainly like a babe, seemed honestly. ordinary enough to James. What's that? Oh, I was, um, I was making a crack that Merriweather Clark sounded like a babe. Oh, like a yeah. a dateable guy. Oh, so. yeah. He he did. And I just love the idea that <laughs> Adam's like, my dad believes in business. He's backing me up. And then the Seamus is like, but crazy treasure thing that could ruin everyone's life. And he's like, I'm listening. <laughs> Send the wagon. The, the number of times in this book where Seamus is like, James, you remember when our dads did this crazy thing? And James is like, uh, no. No one told me that. <laughs> There's like four or five of them. Um, and it is sad, but also so funny. And James is like, my dad didn't tell me shit. That sounds awesome. It's, it's really it's really weird. I, I don't feel like I have a grasp on the Adam character the way I want to. Like, mm. I could see him as the crackpot dad where you're like, oh, he just goes on and on. He says he found this treasure, but it was just a box of stuff. Like, you know, he's kind of a crackpot. It, I don't see him as a guy who's not telling his son about this. I found that very Well, he does odd. have, like, four other sons. And mm -hmm. maybe he just, like, got... He was like, I told him. I told it. It's been told. You were there and you heard it or you didn't. It is lucky that these kids latch on to a wagon train because they would never find this shit on their own. But I think what, when we get to the end and we realize what Ellie has been doing, it's very clear that she's like, of course you will come on the wagon train that I came on and see all the same landmarks and that'll be fun. It's a better idea than the guy from the first book who's like, I hope you're on the boat I took over. <laughs> yeah. Like, at least roads stick around for the most part. <laughs> Here's the first clue. Dare ye seek to take your measure by heading west after dearest treasure. Mark these letters, pay close mind, and perhaps this treasure ye shall find. Not much of a clue. Which is basically like, do you want to find some treasure? Followed by following clues. Yeah, it's like, do you want to read the next Cute. letter? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Aunt Ellie. Yeah. So the first clue basically didn't mean 
anything. It was just like, go west. It means west. there's a treasure hunt coming. Totally. The second clue, which once again, we don't need to go into how it's gotten, because all the clues are just stacked up. It's so sad to think of Adam sitting in his office getting these letters from Ellie, who he had such an adventure with in the last book, and being like, oh, she's doing something a little fun, I guess. And then he's not pursuing it. It makes me sad. He's busy pursuing The Secret Lies with Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're going to Charlotte, North Carolina all the time. I have South bad Carolina news for him about his success with that clue. <laughs> yeah, they don't even know it's a boat. Ah, we're so far away. <sighs> yeah. Where our joyful old friend had his last stand, begin to trace your journey out across the land. Which is about William... No, it's about Meriwether Lewis, who died in a place along the Natchez Trace, mm-hmm. which is just a little pin in the map to say you're in the right direction, keep going. And R. Clark, the, the son, mm-hmm. is like, I know that, of course, because something about being, what, j- joyful. He was like... Yeah. Mary. Uh-huh. Weather. <laughs> <laughs> this is my that's my I, this clue thing i'm they're not perfect i'm getting too obsessed about it if i'm in in their shoes i'm like mary and then what about the weather you know i'm it, like they I'm, yeah. I'm going like we obviously have to go there when it rains <laughs> this is like you know how we were talking about how like ben gates free associates his way through clues mm-hmm. this is exactly what he would be doing it would be like joyful joyful happy Ma- mary mary weather mary weather <laughs> okay but weather is the weather part of it maybe i don't know last stand let's move on to that we'll come back maybe we'll come back to the weather like he would just <laughs> eat it up <laughs> yeah I do like that the teens are like, Trace, Trace, Natchez, Trace. Are we supposed to go down the Natchez Trace? Is that what we're supposed to do? And they don't, thankfully. Weren't you blown away that in this book, there's a part where they have a breakthrough on a clue. I think it's the last one. And someone goes, oh, that's this thing. It's but a hundred miles away. And it's like, some of (laughs) these other books... They were being like, it's three miles away. I don't know how we'll get there. (laughs) Well, when you're already crossing the whole country. Right. So that's on page 44. Then I think our next clue is on page 114. It feels like there's a break. It really does. Take a big break Uh on clues. And that is the Joseph Smith clue that we already discussed. Amazing clue. Great clue. Great clue. I went to Nabu one time and saw zero clues. Uh, I did appreciate the... What's that town like? uh, Small... There's the temple, and it's a lot of Mormon history stuff, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. And the the way Mormon history is like canonically framed is always very interesting because they do not want to acknowledge that Joseph Smith was a notorious treasure hunter. And so, for this book, <laughs> I think to treat the entire movement with like a a bit of curiosity, but also that I think it was you, Hannah, earlier who mentioned just the like, no, they're like good people, just trying to find a better life for themselves and the country's big and they just want to like settle down. Uh, it was cool for them to be like, I mean, no, he, he was a Freemason and he was a treasure hunter, all these things that the Mormon and church bigamist. and, and he had a lot of wives, like all this stuff that people try to sweep <laughs> under the rug. 
but there's still like an earnestness to to how i think this author sees all of the people in the country at this time just trying to like survive and stick together which is cool it's cool is nauvoo where he was killed uh it's carthage missouri um, he's back in okay. missouri when when he was when he was killed ultimately have you been there i haven't no i'm I would like to. I know. wonder if you can visit the home where he was killed. Like, I'm curious. Uh, it was a jail. I'm always curious so about death sites. It was a jail. So if the jail is still standing, mm. then I'll bet you they would still have it. Because I, I, one of the museums I went to mm. growing up, they had his like death mask and stuff. Like, Ooh. like they're they're not afraid to get a little bit grim with like the martyrdom yeah. of their first prophet and stuff. So of course, if, if the jail is still standing, I'll bet you could walk through it for sure. I feel like it'd be fun for me to do like a death sites tour of America. Like so many famous people have been straight up murdered in various places uh-huh. that it'd be kind of fun. Not, f- I don't know, morbid and sick, I guess, but it this would be interesting for me. me. Coming from Cemetery Hannah. <laughs> Indeed. I like this very normal episode of Authorized where I'm like, sitcoms make me cry. And you're like, I want to see the famous death sites just to see it. <laughs> We'll get something really fucking weird out of Matt before this is done. The next clue is on page 145. A familiar starting ground lies in the land of ancient mounds. Travel westward across the land from the city of Moses and Abraham. And they figure out that that is the town that they happen to be in that already has nearby mounds. This is Why the is one this that... working for you? I have to stop. Why is this working yeah. for you? I don't... Like, I liked... Mm-hmm. All the character stuff in this book, I loved it. But, like, the it was giving me everything character-wise I didn't get from the other three. Mm-hmm. Why is it satisfying to for them to keep looking at clues and being like, that's where we already are, or no, we're headed that way anyway? that's not satisfying, obviously. But what is satisfying is that I read this clue and I'm like, hmm, I could figure this out if I knew a little bit more about Western geography. That's what's satisfying about mm. it. And that the fact that some of them, I'm like, oh, I know what that is is hugely satisfying as a reader. That's what's that. Like, the treasure hunt itself, the track they're on, the fact that they aren't really, like, clue to clue to cluing it is not satisfying. I totally grant. But the clues themselves, and then the way that they work through the clues and figure out what they mean, which is sometimes people telling them, like, oh, that's a thing. But this one, they're like... Someone does tell them, like, oh, well, it's actually, like, the founders of this town were named Moses and Abraham, so, like, it must be this, and the mounds, or whatever. Like, they're piecing it together in ways that I was like, oh, neat! Mm. And that works for me. It's, like, more of a history lesson than a mystery. That's, I guess, a thing I like. I'm not gonna lie to you. I like history. Yeah, I think that's, like, a great way to describe this entire journey, is it does feel like a history lesson, and, and... In a lot of ways, I would have preferred following some clues. But again, American history is really cool. So it's fun to just have these tangents and kind of sit in the low stakes adventure as we're as we're moving out west. The next clue, through a courthouse too remote for any trial by jury, round the nation's tallest chimney past ashes refreshing as brandy. Uh, which doesn't rhyme like it should the way I read it. So that's a me thing, I guess. But... The idea of being like an 18-year-old who's never left the East Coast and your aunt is like, look out for a courthouse, wink, and a chimney, wink, and then you see these amazing natural formations and you'd be like, that's a chimney. Oh, cool. Like, that's cool. Now, where are they when that happens, Anna? The courthouse. Um, 
I don't know. Because here's here was my issue. It with is that. hard for me to track where in the country they are <laughs> no. for huge portions of this book. Like once they cross the Mississippi, I'm like, ooh, I'd love a little bit more information about where we are. I, the Oregon Territory, please tell me. The thing that, that bothered me was like I, I got to the courthouse clue and I was like, I know this one. I know Courthouse Mountain. And then it seems like Courthouse Mountain in Colorado is just a different thing that I hike all the time. Oh, the Courthouse and Jail Rock are in Nebraska. Yeah. So that Mm -hmm. made me think, too, like, it's a little bit of a bummer that names, because you know how you go to, like, every state and there's a Windsor, there's a Springfield, whatever? Like, Yeah, sure. It bummed me out a little bit that, like, the name Courthouse was vague enough that I was able to be like, I've got it! And it was just another one in the West. What if you had, though, early in the book, Googled, like, Oregon Trail map Mm -hmm. and then printed it out and referenced it Mm. as you were going through the book? Do you think you'd realize that you were in Nebraska? I did that. I'm beyond help. (laughs) There's also a part really early in the book where they're like, boy, do we want to go through Colorado in the winter? And they're like, no, remember what happened to the Donner party? (laughs) I like that that part, too. That was funny. It was great. (laughs) This really made me laugh. So what's the next clue? Round a bluff toward independence lies a twisting, winding snake. Then you find yourself a raft. That's the path that you should take. And they're like, independence? What? And they're like, no, no, it's about the Snake River. That's cool. I mean, this is not my favorite of the clues. Mm -hmm. Okay. But they are like, we're in the right, we're going the right direction. That's all very good. Close your mission, if you dare, neath Mr. Todd's most glorious bear. Near three hills, tween sea and creek, find the treasure whom you seek. And that one's fun, because they're like, whom you seek? Treasure is an object, not a person. And then they get there, and it's Aunt Ellie. She was the treasure all along. I like how suspicious they are. They're like, dang, we... We should have seen this coming. We we <laughs> clearly read the clue many times, and it did say whom. It's good to meet you, Aunt Ellie. <laughs> it's also nice that like James shows up after a cross country journey uh, with some girl in tow, and no adult supervision. And this aunt is just like, "That's fine. <laughs> That's normal. We'll go with that." She's and cool. He's getting married. What's going on? She can hang. Yeah, she's a dope ass aunt. Yeah, no, for sure. She can hang. And another thing she can do is get one more getting abducted in. <laughs> Even though we thought we were done with Ellie getting abducted. Uh, this book she ends does get abducted one more time. With them being like, oh, it's nice to hang out with Aunt Ellie. That's so nice. Uh, but we left our friend behind, so we got to go get him. Seamus gets so hell-bent on I'm staying and I'm getting the gold or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And... Which, to be fair, he does find gold. He does find gold, but oh. it's just a weird character turn where he's like, I love treasure, I love treasure, let's find the treasure. And then at late in the book, he's like, I'm staying. You're like, you are staying? I feel like the opposite would happen, where you would go and James would stay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> they, they go back what I think they stated was 100 miles to Seamus, and uh, Seamus has found a bunch of gold, and they're in the middle of the woods or next to this big ravine being like, wow, it's so much gold. We're going to be filthy rich. One of the employees of Chandler, of Sally's father, shows up and is like, I'm here to take her back and I have a weapon and I'm dangerous. And I brought Aunt Ellie as a hostage. 
It's like, what She's is like your... She's like in her 60s, so it probably wasn't that hard, but rude. It's a really long way. Yeah. Yeah. Just and kicking I and just... screaming the whole time, I'm sure. I'm sure. I, mean, I don't someone... get the logic at all. Uh-huh. He's like, I'm going to follow them 100 miles. I'm just going to bring the aunt the whole way. Just show up with a gun. <laughs> what are you doing? So anyway, the uh, what's his name? Carson's bear shows up. Grizzly Adams, and the bear's name is Ben. Oh, of course. The the, the, after, the, the bear Ben after Benjamin shows up Franklin. thrashing around. Sorry, what's that, Matt? Named after Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. I love that. He's my favorite thrashing character, around. the grizzly bear, I will say. I, I do the love bears. that sequence, though, when the bear just comes flying through the forest and is so <laughs> ferocious that they're like, I hope to God that that is Ben. I don't know that it's Ben. I really don't know that it's Ben, but please be Ben. Okay, it's Ben. He's smiling again. Just that like <laughs> breath of relief where they're like, I don't want this bear to eat me. And it doesn't. The Wild West was just full of people taming bears, quote unquote, which is crazy and amazing. And I know. The classic childhood book, or I'm sorry, like young adult book thing happens here where... This guy who shows up with Ellie basically like gives her up in in like a hostage exchange for for gold and Sally. And mm-hmm. then the book makes it very clear that even though he perishes terribly, it was none of our characters fault. They're like, "Okay, man, well, we're going to try to take Sally back and and he's like, <laughs> "Okay," and he keeps backing up and backing up and they're like, "You really should stop bagging up, bro." <laughs> <laughs> and he just steps off the edge of the ravine and then falls to his death. James looks over. It's like it's not like in the movies where you see the person fall and you're like, "Ah, I can't even." He just looks over and he's like, "That is gross." Sally, don't look. <laughs> that is their big concern. Their first like, "Okay, is my moral conscience clean?" And second, has the cute girl seen the carnage yet? I really hope not. She would be horrified. <laughs> She'd be this game, book- though. She can hang, too. <laughs> yeah, she's cool as hell. I'm in favor. There is, um... this knowing, knowing that there is no future book, I think this one wraps up pretty well. Where it really has a, like, and then all of our heroes got married, settled down, opened a store, and lived happily ever yeah, after. Yeah, and, and in terms of, like, like, their success, it's like they did find gold. They were able to share it with Grizzly Adams and Benjamin Franklin the Bear. Don't worry about that. <laughs> they didn't get enough to become greedy assholes, but, like, they had enough to, to start a firm Gates Foundation in the Western United States. It's, like, very well balanced. Yeah. I liked it a lot. It works for me, and I think the final lines where they think maybe they encounter a man who is who went mysteriously missing, and they're like, was that him? And James says, I suppose we'll never know. Much like whatever secret lies with Charlotte, perhaps some mysteries are meant to remain unsolved. It's like, if you went from the end of this into National Treasure 1, you'd be like, they solved it! Not everything's meant to be unsolved, sir! And it'd be kind of satisfying, I think. Yeah, you do wonder whether she, you know, Hapka wasn't sure she was getting the fifth book pickup or something. It does feel like that last Sixth Sense book that ends with, such was the magic of the Sixth Sense. It's like, did you know you were getting canceled? <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, it, this does feel like 
a solid, respectable final adventure in the past for the Gates family. Yeah. And then I'm happy to move forward 120 years at least to Benjamin Franklin Gates. Matt Dartnell, you are the nicest grizzly bear. Black bear? <laughs> the nicest black Grizz- bear. Grizzly bear. The nicest grizzly bear of all time. You have just saved a a young woman who is going to be forced into an arranged marriage. You don't totally understand the context. Anyway, you're pooped. Because you're a bear. Because usually you're, you know, docile, but you had to be not docile for a sec. Mm -hmm. So uh, you get back to your home. Knowing what you know, would you pick up a copy of National Treasure Westward Bound? I look at the the cover because I forgot. A Gates Family Mystery, number four. Uh, I absolutely would. I I think I'd want to pick it up, you know, on my way west as I'm getting ready to, to hibernate for the winter, I think. Getting into my bear mm. personality. I mm. think it's like, it's an easy adventure. You learn more about American history and the interiority of teenage characters than, you know, than than how to structure a tight mystery, I guess. But the adventure is fun. The stakes are appropriately high and appropriately low. Uh, I had a really good time exploring the Western United States with our trio of precocious children. What's not to love? Hannah Blackman. Yeah. You are set to marry the girl of your dreams. Mm, Good for me. You met her through your friend, Mr. Chandler. It's his daughter. (laughs) She's great. A little too high-spirited for me and kind of a suffragette, with which I loathe. Mm -hmm. But otherwise. Well, here's the thing, Hannah. She keeps Uh running away because she doesn't Mm. want to marry you. Mm. People think it's this whole dramatic thing where, like, you're mad and she's, you know, she doesn't want you, but... No one knows that the two of you are deeply in love and in a bit of a phantom thread situation. (laughs) Oh. You love that she runs away and she loves to feel a little in danger. Right. She likes that I chase her. I get it. You're a a little smarter than she thinks. And so you basically always know where she is and you feel like you need to give her a little bit of a head start, you know, to get the thrill. Would you spend Uh a couple hours reading National Treasure, Westward Bound, A Gates Family Mystery, Mm -hmm. number four of six? Uh, yes, I would spend my time reading this book. I, as mentioned, really enjoyed it. Everything Matt said is totally true. It's just the right tenor tone and pitch for me. I really like these characters. I really like the vibe of the adventure. Um, and I think that there's no way that five and six had a pool in it. And you know that I'm mostly a national treasure for a little Riley pool. So, um, yeah, I would read and recommend when I finally caught up with her, my unfianced. Although it sounds like maybe when I finally catch up with her, she's married some young schmuck. It's all part of the game. Okay, good. Glad to hear it. Um, Hannah, what's the, um, what's the ranking of these books? Oh, um, four, two, one, three. Amazing. Okay. Um, Andrew Overby, Mm. you are Meriwether Clark. You just want to go west to hang out with your family in St. Louis, and you kind of, you make a mistake and you hire the wrong kids to take you there. They are chatty and annoying, and you've tried everything to get them to stop talking to you about Freemasonry. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> you, napping doesn't totally work. Staring out the window doesn't totally work. In order to discourage them from speaking to you, would you pick up and read National Treasure Westward Bound a Gates Family Mystery number four? Meriwether Clark in this book basically just does the equivalent of like ordering uh, an Uber across the country. <laughs> yes. He's like, could you, could a carriage take me to St. Louis? And they're like, yes. And he's like, really? Oh, <laughs> all right. Perfect. Sounds great. Sounds perfect. Uh, yeah, I liked this one. Um, just a lot of rapid thoughts about this book that, I don't know, this is a fun conversation, but I, I like, I'm all gummed up. I have such scattershot. As this series you went on. You said you wanted to do all your big complaints, so now's your chance. Well, I have complaints, but I also have a lot of stuff I, I want to praise about the book. Uh, I'll start there. Psychologically, I said that the thing that I like most about this book is that it really gets into what is upsetting this main character, darker fare. You know, you kind of feel sometimes like the main character is like watching a sitcom that he doesn't really vibe with. And I think it manifests in a lot of ways that we didn't mention, like, there's whole passages in this book that are kind of nothing like the other books where he's just, like, walking with the wagons towards the end of the book, and he's like, I'm finding that walking is really curbing my incessant anxiety that I live with. <laughs> there's a whole page where he's just saying, it makes me feel terrific, like, to have a repetitive task to do, it makes it so that I'm not, like, nervous, so that mm -hmm. I'm not running my mind in circles like I usually would. There was a level of character insight in this that I don't think was present in any of the other ones. Mm -hmm. I would love to read more of these, but that being said, we mentioned slavery very early on. And there is, I think, one mention of slavery in this entire book. It is on... Let me find it. Uh, I think it's because the James family owns slaves. Yeah, it's on 172. and Which is historically true. Da, 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 da. Yeah, here we go. In addition to the pack mule, one of the James family's slaves had just let out another pair of mules pulling a farm wagon, which was already half-loaded with supplies for the trip. The slave, whose name was Jonah would accompany them to Independence and help transfer the supplies into the covered wagons that would be taking them west, then return home with the empty farm wagon. The, this is worded in a way I thought about this a lot as when I got to this page, which I was like, these books do have a little bit of a problem where they want to incorporate some of the ugliness of America's past, but they don't really know how to look it in the eye. And... The book doesn't question at all the idea that just, like, a slave is just being very helpful and coming along, and isn't that convenient? Mm -hmm. There's really no further examination yeah. there, and I'm not surprised to see that, timeline-wise, they seem to just skip the Civil War. I mean, it's a, it's a tough thing about writing YA fiction. She dabbles a little bit with the native people and Matachana in the first book, but you can't write a national treasure book that that really accurately depicts some of the follies of America because then it becomes not YA. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. while I while I really enjoyed these books, I also do kind of think, even though I would read five and six if I could get my hands on them, I do think it's okay that they end at the point in time that they're at. Um, mm-hmm. 
And here's, I, I don't know how to seg from this. I mean... Sorry, go ahead. I, I have a point on that very, very quickly. They're working at Carrollton Manor in Maryland, right? Uh-huh. When this book begins. Which sounds like a big farm that they do the horse shit on. Right. Right? That farm has slaves, guaranteed. Guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Historically. Not, not mentioned, not even glossed. Like... I understand you don't want your characters to be complicit in slavery, um, but it's simply a fact of where these people are living for... I mean, we talked about this a little bit in the second book. We're like, oh, they're in Massachusetts now, so they're less likely to be owning slaves. <laughs> but, like, there, there's something... You know, you they're, she's dodging it at every turn in the ways that, like... I think that one passage about yeah. the slave highlighted the dodging in a way that I hadn't been thinking about in the previous books, and it made mm-hmm. me go, okay, these are fun. These are fun books. But if yeah. we're going to write in this fashion where we can't contend with certain things, maybe we've almost done every interesting permutation at this point. I mean, mm. these have been four very different stories with some overlap in like how the mysteries play out and stuff like that. But I don't know if I need to see four more if it's in what is essentially like a little bit of a watered down reality. Yeah. I also think between 1870 and 1900, shit in America's like not that interesting. It's like very politically interesting. And you just don't want to do that with kids. <clears throat> like you can't do like political malfeasance in a kid's book. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. A hundred percent. And we, Or robber barons. Cause those are deeply upsetting. And the fact that now we are approaching the civil war and everything that entails politically and in terms of like slavery and stuff, I can see it getting very hard to write for this Mm. audience at the very least. Well, good job, Catherine on these four books. Yeah, I liked them. I'm going to say, even though no one asked me that if I Mm. had to rank these books, I would say, Oh yeah. Sorry. Four, probably, probably the best. I'm not feeling crazy about four because the, mystery was so limp and and hannah in the first episode i was like what's the connective tissue here between these books and national treasure the movies and you were like well obviously it's national treasure andrew where the fuck is the national treasure it's the journey into west the west is the american treasure wow the expansion the possibilities the landmarks mm. hard to be on a podcast where i just get my ass served to me week after week after yeah week. that's you know, a really good a answer. question I'm going to answer it mm. 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. Like, I admit when I don't know something, but if I can create an answer that feels true to me, I will tell you it. <laughs> All right. I think this one's a little flimsy, but four, still my favorite <laughs> book because suddenly there's these vivid character insights that were not there before. Uh, I'm going to say one as my second favorite one. <gasps> one is like a mess and you can't solve the clues. Like, the clues themselves <laughs> are a mess, but the yeah. character development stuff is fun and as you said in our first episode, Hannah, it just, because it doesn't have a historical event that it goes along with, it's just really unpredictable in a way. It really is, yeah. Super fun. For that reason, I'm putting three as my number three. Because you just never knew it was around the next band no, except I that found it was the Brewsters. complete <laughs> abandonment of <laughs> treasure hunts, of everything that made the series what it is, kind of thrilling. And looking back on it, I was like, that's not the best book, but I think I loved reading it. Uh, yeah. And then two just gets the lowest ranking because it is the one where you're like, I think I know what this book is. And you do. Mm. That being said, it has the most clues. The treasure in two. 
Yeah. Putting aside any sentimental bullshit like on Ellie's heart is the greatest treasure of all. The treasure in two is the most valuable treasure. Yes. Hands down. They, they, it's they... a stockpile of guns and they use it to win the American Revolution. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, so, a, yeah. that's a great haul. Way to go. It's, yeah, man. It's a huge, a huge haul. Um, <laughs> wonderful. Matt Dartnell, you're on Letterboxd. What's happening there? And should people check it out? Mm, absolutely, you should. It's where I spend all my time. It's a problem. Right now, I'm trying to game my year-end statistics so that the proper directors are in their proper place for, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. most watched this year. So I got a little bit of work to do there. But um, overall, been another wonderful year of movie watching and another wonderful year of listening to Authorized. So thank you I'm both. I'm seeing that your number one director right now is Dinesh D'Souza and number two is Taylor <laughs> Swift. Uh, you know... It's about priorities, Andrew. It's not easy to get those numbers <laughs> on the board. You think that was fun for me? I once again interrupted <laughs> him complimenting us. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Matt. I can't wait to see you again soon on another one of these or perhaps someday on a groundbreaking national adventure. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go dig for treasure in Mormon country. That would be fun for me. Yeah. yeah. To our listeners, please do rate our podcast. Please do review it. Subscribe to it. Check out our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash authorized pod. And this is obviously the end of the National Treasure series. We'll have a couple floaters for you. Actually, most of them are technically some sort of novelization. We have um, U.S. Marshals coming up next week. So Good. And then uh, a few, about a month from now, we'll have a whole... Fourth season of novelizations coming your way. And as usual, I'm going to close out the episode by reading a passage from a classic piece of literature. Please do tweet at AuthorizedPod if you recognize what this is from. Aunt Ellie, I'm so sad to hear that your husband died. Are you doing all right? Oh, it's still pretty raw. I've only been a widow for one year. As discussed in the Westward Bound episode, at length, and probably to the detriment of the quality of the podcast, (laughs) when I feel that pieces of art reach happy conclusions too easily, it makes me sad, like sitcom episodes. And so, (laughs) I put to the two of you the question... Is this plot too sad for Andrew Overby? Oh my god. Oh, I hope that's <laughs> Did this make Overby sad? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and of course we have a a photo of the the modern family. Mm, um the modern. Wow. Ooh. They all got so old. I haven't seen the kid. 
I haven't seen the the youngest kid since he grew up. There's a new child too. Holy shit! Sorry, that's not important. No, no, that's what I was gonna say. Which is that there's there's people in this family that I I definitely didn't get this far into Modern Family. Oh yeah, I've never watched that show. So here's the concept: is I am going to show you something, and you're gonna tell me was this so cheap, or or was it was the resolution so cheap that it made me sad? a little bit depressed and did it make me feel unlovable and a little more alone than before I watched it. Mm. <laughs> As usual, buzz in with your first name and then take a guess at a yes or a no. Up first, have Ooh. you two seen this movie? It's been a long time. Okay, so this is the poster for It Could Happen to You, the Nicolas Cage Bridget Fonda movie in which a man gets a winning lottery ticket that he promises to split with a waitress, if it's winning, which it turns out it is, and uh, the the fallout from that really restructures their lives, and they find love, etc. Did this make me sad? No. Please buzz in with your first name. Matt. Matt? No. No. You think that I enjoyed this? Well, the answer is no. Mm. I found that this movie, which was about how Nicolas Cage had to face the fact that he had spent his life wrong and was with people that didn't appreciate him and had different values than him, and he had to really face his own mistakes, was very uh, sort of prescient uh, about the human condition, and uh, I found it quite moving. You know what movie makes me sad that's supposed to be happy at the end? Uh Uh-huh. You've got mail. How does it end? Um, Tom Hanks spends six months like manipulating Meg Ryan into yes. liking him. And then she's like, I'm so glad you did that. <laughs> yes, yes, okay. And I don't like the, it and it makes me sad. That entire movie passed the point where he learns and she doesn't. It just upsets the entire... Yeah, yes, thank it's you. It's like a different premise. It's very upsetting, and and it's not the good version, which is the Pina Colada song, where they find mm. out at the exact same moment, and they're like, oh, great. Up next, did this make me sad? Little Women? The end of Little Women? Hannah. Hannah, which Little Women are we looking at? This is the Greta Gerwig Little Women. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to guess that it did make you sad. Why do you think that? Um, I think because I would say that Joe's ending where she like gets married, you would find a disappointing finale for that character who you would feel probably should just be an independent writer and not have to in any way be linked with some guy. Even if he's as great as Professor Hubert. Yeah, I knew it. Yes, this wrong, made me sad. These are not value judgments on these <laughs> movies. It just did make me sad. Because I felt, as I often do, that there were no dark nights of the soul, morality-wise, for these characters, and that they just seemed nice at the beginning, and they were nice, and it made me sad. <laughs> Niceness makes you sad. Is because it I enough? struggle with darkness. God, did we learn nothing from Banshees of Inishiaran? Is it niceness <laughs> enough? Up next, did this make me sad? When my high school girlfriend said that she thought we could go the distance. Hannah. Hannah. I'm going to say, even though I didn't know you in high school, and I think you were a slightly different person then, is that the vibe I get from what I've heard about you. 
I do uh-huh. think that that made you sad. Mm. Due to the mm. fleeting nature of love that I think you have always felt. And you felt her naivety was, yeah, I got it right. Yeah. This is a yes. Uh, when my high school girlfriend told me that she thought we could go the distance and, and went on to say that we should try literal distance when we went to college, I said yes, that we should, because I liked her very much, but I could feel our youth, and I could feel that, you know, we hadn't lived enough to uh, really be making that commitment, and I could kind of see down the road that it would go to a sad place, but... I love that you still said yes, though. I love that you were still like, let's give it a shot. It's worth exactly. a shot. I, I think the only way in this case to learn from a mistake in life is to make the mistake. Mm, it's wise. Otherwise, we'd be wondering, what if we had tried? Boy, mm-hmm. tell me about it. Up next, did this make me sad? <laughs> <laughs> For the listeners, <laughs> Bill Clinton's of, infidelity. Mm. It's a picture of our friend Bill Clinton. In the moment when you were what five, Andrew? Did I this think make it was you sad? Seven. Okay. Yes. When it all came to light, Matt. Matt votes no. I think. I think that was your like coming of age moment, if anything, where beforehand you you would have uh, seen Ben and Hillary together and thought that they were a wonderful, idealistic couple. And then this Mm. happened, and I think that's when you saw The Matrix. So your answer, it was, yes, it bothered me? No, I think, think, uh, yes, it made you sad, which means the answer is actually no, because happiness makes you sad, right? That's the premise (laughs) of the game here. The question is just, did this make me sad? Bittersweet. You, it, I mean, it made you sad, but in a good way. It made you sad. It made he you keeps sad. He's saying it made me sad, so I think he's saying yes. Okay, here's the deal. Bill Clinton's infidelity. I was way too young to care or understand. So, it didn't affect me negatively, except that every adult was talking about it, but wouldn't share it with a child. And so every adult, you'd get picked up from preschool, or wherever I was, elementary school, and they'd be like oh my God, can you believe, to the teacher? And you'd be like, what are you talking about? And they'd be like, oh, nothing. And that became life for a while. So that made me quite sad. (laughs) Okay, I'm giving Matt the point on that one. Yeah, he gets Mm -hmm. the point on that one. I was Mm -hmm. but a child. As tore we all. Up next, did this make me sad? Ooh. What are we looking at, Matt? Uh, it's a eight bit Christmas, the you know Christmas movie from 2020, 2021. Yeah, the Neil Patrick Harris Christmas movie, sort of a sort of an ode to uh, a Christmas story, an attempt to drag a Christmas story into the present day. The the <clears throat> the movie was pitched within the industry as Goodfellas for children, which I think what? is very interesting to think about. Fascinating. Hannah. Hannah. I think this did make you sad because it seems like a really craven grasp for people's uh, affection and money in a way that I think would disappoint you. It did make me sad, so I'm giving you the point. Thank you. The thing that made me sad in this movie is that in flashback, Steve Zahn (laughs) plays Neil Patrick Harris's father. And 
there's just normal scenes with him where he's just doing comedy. And then at the end, spoilers, they flash forward to, like, the present. And they're like, he died a while ago. Isn't that sad? And it's, like, played (laughs) for sad. And it's so fucking manipulative. Mm. (laughs) Do you guys think that um, Steve Zahn is, like, a comedy Shea Wiggum? Like, if you wanted a guy to play a dad in the past, you're like, comedy drama, who are we hiring? And it's, like, one of those two. I absolutely do. I absolutely do. I like that a lot. Thanks. That is such a Hannah question, and I absolutely do. (laughs) Have they ever played brothers before? Have they ever been family in movies? No. I don't think they've ever been in anything together. That's too bad. I agree. One of these days, I'm just waiting for it. One of these days, that cinephile Twitter account is accidentally going to post two cards that are just two people that famously are in the same movie. Like, it's going to be like, can you connect these two people? George Clooney and Brad Pitt. (laughs) I can't wait. That'll be funny. Up next, did this make me sad? The movie Game Night? Mm Mm-hmm. The the end of the movie Game Night? Uh Uh-huh. What happens at the end of the movie Game Night? Uh, They they decide that they're going to have a child, the the central couple. Mm. Well, they are unwaveringly in love with each other. Yes. Which is nice. I think Matt says, yes, it made you sad. Yes, this made me sad. Couple Mm, of reasons. First off, as Hannah said, I almost tipped my hand by reacting (laughs) to that. There's just no doubt that these people are crazy about each other. There's no tension of this fucking movie. And at the beginning, I mean, it's funny. It's really funny. But at the beginning... The tension is, are they going to make it through the night? Not are they going to get divorced? I think you would find that if you went back to this movie, they are trying to play a little bit of the, like, are they going to be able to take the step into being parents? Whatever. I really only remember that part where Rachel McAdams delivers the iconic line. Oh, no, he died. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's a funny movie, but it made me sad how the journey, I'm doing air quotes, that these characters went through was just sort of a pre-decided, they're really nice, and then at the end they're like, aren't they? And it's like, yeah, whatever. Also, fucking cast younger actors for these movies where they're like, should we have kids now? And I get it, you can have kids when you're 45, I understand. But like, it's it's alienating to the, those people who can't uh, freeze their eggs and such. I believe, I could believe that everyone in this picture, except for Jason Bateman, is in their early 30s. And isn't the plot mm. that, like, the Australian woman is older? That's, like, a plot point. She's dating Billy Magnuson. Who's yeah. young. Yes. But th- that's... The the child plot is about the... the yeah, Jason people. Bateman's... Mm-hmm. He's a man, though. So and men can have it, uh, babies whenever. It's a it's a unfair burden that God has put upon us. Mm. Sure. I think my point stands. It'd be nice <laughs> to, uh, you know, cast a couple that, that could have children uh, without uh, being rich uh i also have this problem with iron man in the uh last avengers that he's in where he's like 55 and he's like should we become parents i'm like shut up the real question is should be gwyneth paltrow being like i'm 45 so if you want it we gotta do it now (laughs) she's a grown-ass woman did this make me sad the passing of our family dog, Sam, at his age of 17. Hannah. Hannah. Hannah says, like, yes, it made you sad. Your dog died. 
but you knew that he had lived a good long life. Mm. This is bittersweet for me again as well. Yeah. This yeah, is the bittersweet. like, yeah, th- this is the trick question answer all over again. Mm-hmm. Wow, you guys are really trying to see a puppet master here. Yeah, it made me sad. I'm not a fucking monster. <laughs> taking the taking the point. <laughs> Great. And honestly, I'm gonna give Matt a point too. <laughs> well, that's the game. And that's a tie, baby. Well done for us, Matt. Good job.